welcome to sin talk the sin talkers around the table today discuss the new and old together we'll think about the interplay between the old and the new in various domains is perception itself historically invariant what is the role of the old in understanding the new does our brain process the two differently might there be ethical reasons for the old to often linger on via repairs and reuse when must the old be destroyed before the new takes hold what makes the past redundant why do we sometimes need to go back to the old how do we recognize if there's something new taking shape in front of our eyes will the old and new distinctions remain and will we keep going back to the past and keep the world gray we are pleased and privileged to have three sent talkers with us here today dr rajesh kasturi rangan he is a cognitive scientist mathematician dr virain murthy He is an intellectual historian. He is from University of Wisconsin Madison. And Dr. Abhijit Paul, he works in the interdisciplinary field of anthropology and humanities. He is from UC Berkeley. So, Virain, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um maybe by trying to understand whether this distinction that we make even in a very laymanish way between old and new has it has it always been the case or does it come to be somewhere along the journey and and again is it thought of similarly in different parts of the world or has it been thought of similarly in different parts of the world why don't you think of it a little bit both historically as well as philosophically and we'll we'll go from there yes um so there are a couple of things um that we should perhaps put on the table when we think about this this problem of the the old and new and um first i guess um is is the the problem of time itself right um because old and new are really considered sort of um i guess they're they're really temporal categories right um we can often replace them with like present and past right um and here i thought um one thing that that immediately came to mind is the the notion of time in relation to its representation right so what i mean by this is when we think about the concept of time itself right um the time itself is something unlike space it's it's not something that can be easily represented right um because the minute you get a representation it takes up space and the usual um kind of metaphor that we've been using to to talk about time and this we were talking about kant and so on is the the concept of a line right and the reason i mentioned the concept of a line is because when you think about time as a line the the old and new can't coexist right because as you're moving f- further and further in time 
the 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 past is gone right it can but, never come back but wherein that holds for events not for objects right i mean if there are objects they can be like a 200 year old object which also exists in the present right on right. that axis right so but but there i think what we're dealing with is is another is already a questioning of the linear notion of time mm-hmm. right and i think that's what happens in the 20th century where you get people like heidegger and so on who begin to say that no 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 time is not something that's just an abstract progression of now points right because if you if you talk about the object right the object we want to say persists in time but that is often connected to our experience right and so if we talk about our experience of time which is where i think the 20th century has has moved right is the the experience of time is where we often have past present and future sort of happening together right sure. so that that um you know in some ways what heidegger is sort of saying is that we should think about these things almost almost as a kind of circle right that that the past informs our present which then allows us to imagine the future right so now this is talking purely at an individual uh, level in some again sense. i think the 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 place where i want you to help uh, virain is if you think of ideas or if you think of events uh, i think this kind of makes sense what about just regular day to day objects right i mean right, that is right 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 and uh, how does the notion of circular time or linear time um create any difficulty there because i mean there is such a thing as a 500 year old thing now i know the whole problem is what does it mean to be 500 year old right, to right, begin right. with but let me let me let me just quickly get to the the second part of your question which mm-hmm. is which was about the new and the old and and whether this the concept of the new and the old had changed right and i think here um uh, is the 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 problem of modernity right mm-hmm. because it's with the concept of modernity that all of a sudden old and new take on different valences right. right so that so that at that point um we start thinking about time um and and this whole idea of the new as not just something that happens as at a moment but we begin to think about society as as almost a kind of structured totality where the modern is different from the old right so in this case it's not really it's it's a little bit different from an object so the right? new becomes a new structure Yeah, the very concept of the new is different because so the new comes first, and because of the new, it is as a corollary, the old becomes whatever is not new. Exactly, but but I think at this point we're talking about the new as a modern, right? So that right. that the new becomes is is really a kind of um, social kind of rupture, right? It's a rupture in in society, or you could even say the world, right? and that's when you get all kinds of other things that are connected to it like urbanization capitalism all of these things that we connect that then that then all of a sudden the old you know even if it remains in the new we think of it as different because it's reconstituted in a new framework again right? the valence is different like exactly. pointing out exactly How, where are you on this abhijit it's a good point i mean great start viren thank you um i want to take on the question of um the old and the new through an interface it involves a subject something that we've been trying to unwrap throughout the morning and here i want to take us to uh, not heidegger not kant but someone in between marx um in capital 1 um in a chapter called machinery and large scale capital there are a bunch of footnotes and with marx uh, we tend to not think in terms of technology because we always think marx talked about means of production but marx actually spent a lot of time thinking about 
uh, technology object and how it helps us understand the old and the new. Um, in one of the footnotes, and a series of footnotes actually. When you say interface, you mean technology. Uh, the subject, the work, uh, the work that is done by the worker with the object called technology and how it relates to understanding um, the spaces of modernity, the spaces of uh, uh, society as such. I'll give you the example. So in one of the footnotes in that chapter, if I am not misremembering, um, he says that even the cutler will make a decision, I'm not exactly quoting him, but almost, even the cutler will make a decision at some point that the blade is not worth a repair anymore. Right. And at that point, so it needs a cutler to make a decision. So history moves with very, history moves in specificity. History moves with specificity. So uh, 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 we may imagine the world any which way we want to, but we need to have an intervening subject somewhere. So I mean, I, is this a point to say that there is autonomy in judgment involved when this is, I mean, autonomy of the subject here? Uh, or history itself is not autonomous? Is, is that it's, I think there's a dialectic there which Marx hmm. is trying to pull off. Like the subject is autonomous only to the point that one has to make a decision if the work of the cutlery, if the work of the, of the cutting knife is uh, good enough to be sustained in the means and value of production, or if that uh, cutler would make a decision. So the, so the autonomy is up, up until that point. The historical uh, progress or the, or, or the notion of progress that is embodied in all of this discussion comes from the fact that it will be made obsolete at some point or the other when it will be called the old. But until then, via repair or reuse and so on and so forth, you somehow keep it in the present? That's a great question. Uh, I think um, it all depends on the context. In Europe, when um, uh, there was massive migration from the rural side, into, especially in England, because that's where much of the Industrial Revolution began, uh, there was the idea that they are phasing out the old. Right, and much of modern capital, much of modern capitalist theories are based on those migrations from the rural to the urban, which is also what creates the urban proletariat and so on and so forth. In the global south, broad concept, let's say in India or in South Asia or wherever we're talking about, it, it, the, the, the break wasn't as neat because there were affiliations with the country. It wasn't that whoever came from the village in the industrial workspace abandoned the rural space. They did not because they were also involved through rituals. They were also involved through everyday work and practices, both in the migrant area as well as back in the countryside. So the exchange, the, 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 the continuous back and forth, it created a lot of trouble for the early uh, um, sociologists who just didn't understand what this Indian working class or the, or the working class of the global south were all about. And that's where they tried to think about, like, oh, okay, so this is uh, very typical of, uh, um, of uh, a non-European society where they can't break away from the past. So if you go back to the object again, right. uh, Abhijit, the, so is it, it is in some way linked to the communities that keep them or maintain them or use them. So that's that's a very interesting and a very critical point of departure. I would say the question of community is something that uh, early uh, thinking about uh, historical progress kind of neglected. I would say today we are thinking more in terms of uh, community and how they feel about this this uh, this rupture 
the disruption that we keep on talking about in relation to the old and the new. Mm. So we are paying more and more attention to smaller communities and how they think about the disruption within urban modernity in in which they are a part of and yet they are not. Mm. So it's that continuous back and forth which I think could be could have some place in this conversation. Mm. Why don't you jump to your world Rajesh? I mean what I mean, we we've heard some aspects of this but you know if purely from a cognitive science perspective is there a distinction at all between old and the new does a mind does a brain distinguish between the two and what 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 does that question even mean so let me start by something which is not mind like and not so somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. okay i i really liked widget's use of the word cutler mm-hmm. i mean the fact is that we almost never use that term anymore <laughs> I, in fact i have never used so it in my life <laughs> right cutlery we use you can go to a store and you can buy ask cutlery. For cutlery you can ask for cutlery you can uh, you will be sold uh, cutlery so that word has been made archaic right you know? so it's almost as if the word cutler so the subject has been erased but the object still remains and and one of the things therefore i want to ask about history and about our cognition of history or of time is is there a trace of this subject even when you believe that there is none right so for example when you use cutlery today is there a cutler somewhere in the background some ghost that is needed to make the cutlery cutlery or can you just directly interface with this object which is cutlery without ever wondering whether they were people like cutlers right and um and the and the and the response would be that if 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 it's gone into one of those mass manufacturing modes and getting manufactured as opposed to being made and so on then presumably the cutler is kind of gone it's become a historical artifact I, i am a little reluctant i mean i feel like that's a political act and i'm mm-hmm. not willing to mm-hmm. uh, give away that much so soon so for example in a very different context and that's not a romantic reaction no Mm. right so uh, all of us in this room have probably had what's called kabuli chana right right which came from kabul that's mm. why it's kabuli chana but actually in india now it comes from canada <laughs> right or it's being imported from other parts of the world so kabuli chana is not from kabul at all in fact, afghanistan <laughs> imports almost all of its lentils from canada right right so i i feel like if we interrogate language into this yes absolutely and and language obviously has a role to play in cognition yes um but where does new and old come into this what i feel is that language is often a trace of some of these archaisms uh and you know when we talked earlier i had mentioned the famous homerian claim of the wine dark sea right and the wine dark i mean I haven't yet seen a sea in my life that's wine dark, right? They look blue, or if it's a uh, uh, somewhat dirty coastline of India, it may be muckish gray, but wine dark doesn't happen. So then, so I feel like, is this Homer just using language in a playful way, or is there a perception of wine darkness? So that connects to the cutler and the cutlery, right? Which is that. we may not recognize that there is a cutler behind the cutlery and it may be that we don't recognize the movement of perception over time 
that perhaps there's a history to the way we sense the world as well. And, I, you know, for the longest time, I used to think a rose is a rose is a rose, but maybe Homer's rose is not the same as our mm. rose. And this, this, this could be a case of just linguistic diffusion where the word itself has come to mean something else. Or, or even perceptual. Or even perceptual. Which is why so, I think, so I, I feel like... So the red then is different from the red now? I, I'm not willing to believe without evidence that red is just red is just red. I feel like, and this again goes to the issue you raised a little while ago about objects just being a 500-year-old object. I'm not sure if it's the same object. Of course not, because it's, 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 it's lived for that period, whatever that means. So when we say 500-year-old, what does it mean? What does age mean? Yeah. Mm. Like who, when you say 500-year-old object, like what are you referring to? So let's bring the mind into this, uh, Rajesh, mm -hmm. as far as the mind is concerned. Uh -huh. And the individual mind will get to the social mind later mm -hmm. and it's, it has its own problems maybe. Mm -hmm. How does that... Because, because there's something cumulative about time, right? A 500-year-old thing or object or whatever, a memory. All of these are... I mean, so how, does, how does time get processed at all? Does it process new and old differently or does it not matter as far as... Um, I mean, at least as far as our perceptual systems are concerned, the only thing that we sense is what's around us now. Right. Right? So the now has a very special relationship to us as embodied creatures in a way that the that the old just cannot. But there is an interplay with memory. There is an interplay with memory, but memory isn't history. Uh, this is something that, again, I feel is a huge point because memory is capricious. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we know this that, say, human, if you look at people's testimonies in court, our memory is very terrible. You can be made to remember something that you never experienced. Yeah, it's false, very, false, false memories, memories are, are rampant. Right, uh, but we don't think of history as something false. At least, unless you're a Marxist and you have a different kind of historical consciousness. So, what I am very interested in is how did this bits and pieces of memory, which might have been handed down through family folklore or through um, oral traditions, become this thing called history, where the past is like this fixed object that existed? Has the past been this fixed object? Well, that's and a, I think we didn't get around to thinking of this question in different cultures in different places around right. the world. Right. Um, so there's a there's a a number of things that um, have been brought up. I think by both um, Rajesh and Obijit. Um, and I'm sort of beginning to try to think about where to start. Start um, any way you like. Let's keep it interesting. <laughs> so 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 first, let's maybe first tackle the problem of the past. Right and and whether the past is a fixed object, right? Um, because I think even in uh, historical studies, there's a big debate about this, right? There's some who talk about the reality of the past as as if it's it's just like an object. Once the past is gone, it it'll never change. But then there are the others who would say, well, wait a second, you know, as we reinterpret, as new events happen, the past takes on a different color. So take, for example, the 1917 revolution, which is a great example, right? You know, what that past looked like, say, in the 1950s, when people were all saying, yes, socialism is possible and so on and all of that, 
and then 1980 after 1989 all of a sudden the 1917 revolution looks very different right <laughs> and you yes, begin yes. to you're able to make statements about it right that you couldn't before right like in 1917 a revolution that would end in 1989 right took place that's a, that's a that's a statement about that event that is not possible to make right. in the, in the 1960s so there's a way in which at a very very concrete level you can talk about how the past is is changing now there's those who would say does that mean that the past is changing or just the interpretation of the past so in, in here we're talking largely about events right yeah. but so there's a question then of whether you can take the idea of an event as completely separate from any interpretation that you can make of it because right? events don't just have a past they also have a future exactly and, exactly and that's where the present changes the past exactly exactly so that would be the the first thing then the other thing um is this very interesting question about the cutler and 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 the and the actual object right um and there were two two examples that uh, that rajesh gave that i think are, are very interesting so one is the the question of whether you have a cutler um behind every time you're using cutlery right and and what are the what is what is the political significance to excluding that right that's then the other is 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 one that actually brings us back to marx right which is the kabulichana because the the kabulichana is very much really the question of fetishism in marx which is is sort of uh, you know it's it's tangentially connected to the old and new but it's also connected to this this idea of bracketing out everything that is not in your immediate moment so for example uh, the more ex- the more common example is when we're eating breakfast right we're eating breakfast we see everything around the table right um and we but we don't think about where the milk comes from yeah. we don't think about any all of that past which is sort of old but not i mean it's question of whether you want to call it old or not because the it's it's not old in the sense of old versus modern but it is in in the sense of a kind of past labor that is excluded from our experience right and so that is that is sort of what 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 marx largely calls the fetishism of the commodity right that we we focus only on the immediate right and we we overlook all of the all of the kind of process of which were that that makes that is the condition for the possibility of our present so the condition for the possibility of our present is past labor from all 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 kinds of people right so that that's that i think is 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 was sort of behind i think the the kabulichana so when when you say modernity right. do you do you almost mean capitalism does capitalism end up creating time so that is a very interesting question um and because you know there would be there was kabulichana 2000 years ago look i don't know the facts yeah. about it but <laughs> yeah. you know, 100000 yeah. years yeah. ago yeah. and yeah. you know when you when you had it or consumed mm-hmm. it or you had it around you mm-hmm. um did mm-hmm. you know its past in ways which are yeah i would qualitatively I, very different from the way we know know about it today now it may come from canada that's fine yeah but, i would um, say yes i would i would say definitely yes to that question and then and, and but but the question of capitalism and modernity is is much more complicated sure um but um i think that you know obviously we had kabulichana before hmm. but um the 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 type of fetishism that we have in capitalism is is something is something unique now the question of in the relation between capitalism and modernity and time is 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 complicated and and i want to go back to another question that you asked about different cultures right and i think the 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 
the case that really interests me, and it's partly because I, 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 I study Japan to, to, to a certain extent, is the Japanese case in the Meiji Restoration. Right? Right. Because there you have, in some sense, a, a, a country that is in the midst of modernity, mm-hmm. but it's constantly going back to the past. Right, mm-hmm. especially the emperor system, and there you really have you know things like swords, all these kind jewels, all of these kind of things that they're purposely bringing back the older actors, right, to try to say no, no, no. There's a there's a Jinmu Tenno who existed you know five thousand years ago, and now there is and a- and and a lot of that. Not that it matters too much, but just so that we get it somewhat right, is that myth making or it's more or less factual history, whatever that. Means. Well, that's the question. The the the. You, we would call it myth-making, mm-hmm. but these myths there is are essential to the self-identity of the nation. Because I think the one other thing that we haven't brought up in the, and, and That's we, a great we, point. we might want to bring into this is the nation-state. Hmm. Because the nation-state is such that it constantly might want the cutler. Why, right? why is the old necessary? Why was the old found to be necessary for major restoration? So this is what's, what's interesting there is that, so because you can think about the, the nation state as a contradictory social formation, right? On the one hand, it wants to be modern, right? It has to say like, you know, we have all these thinkers in the modern period that say, well, you know, our community is different. We're, we're about equality. We're unlike feudalism, which is the usual sure, sure, sure. past and so on. But the reason why it has to go back to the past is to forge continuity, right. because at the same time the nation has to be con- continuous. Which is why why we have you know even even in India we've got you know talk about Vedic flying machines and so on, which which brings this idea of something very modern like science. But why but then why why this desire to be timeless? Because you know you could be a nation and you could have been you could be born like fifty years ago with you know your history starting fifty years ago, two hundred years ago. But somehow there's this tendency to go really far back to uh, as, as some kind of a source for legitimacy or something like that. Do you have, do you have a clue yeah, about this? Interesting. The Meiji Restoration example of trying to go back to the past and uh, still think in terms of the modern. I think this happens with communities who deal with uh, a kind of a spectral cutlery, shall we say, in the absence of the real cutler. All the time. I mean, uh, one of the examples that I have been thinking about and have worked with, uh, worked on for a while in both my dissertation and also post-PhD work and so on, is the figure of, uh, the ritual figure of the Vishakarma, which is a total myth, uh, all by Hindu, but myth, and uh, which connects directly to the repair uh, mechanics in, in this country and uh, for the most part, much of the informal sector is run by the very same repair uh, people who, whom we see all along. In in fact, even from our drive from uh, that beautiful Goan restaurant to Mahalakshmi, they were there. And it's a, um, it's part of a um, culture. It's ingested. So what sort of a creation is Vishwakarma? Is it, is it, is it not a part of the religious texts and so on it's been made made up by these craftsmen and others it's very interesting uh that in i mean the historic precise historical you can always go and retrofit it in stories right right so uh, the 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 bishop myth comes in many different forms local as well as national Mm -hmm. it all it's already built into pretty much uh uh, the national psyche of like you know the very fact that you know you have if you have uh 
uh, a factory at some point you would have to have a vishakarma puja on that but day but what's the primary blessing that vishakarma in it's a fact that he is an engineer god hmm. there is a certain and what does an engineer do an an engineer engineers as in the uh, as in the uh, manner of like making because it's different from creating it's not brahma is vishwakarma but the vishwakarma is the original in in, in some in, in in the vishwakarma purana the vishwakarma is the brahman right right the architect of the universe time present and past so there is a certain direct descendancy for a, a, a majority of people who work with metals so is and it, tools. So is it the repair function or the creation function? That's a great point. I think that's a very, very moot point as well. Hmm. For the repair uh, uh, from the outside, from the objective historical point of view, somebody is repairing an, an original. So to go back again to the Marxian analogy of like, you know, what was and what is now, uh, what changed. From the repair point of view, the subjectivity angle, they're also creating. So repair is a form of creation which is setting the ball rolling back again. So there's Abhijit, a certain recycling. What what goes obsolete? What cannot be repaired? What cannot be repaired? Uh, the, for the repair person, everything is repairable. Even ILO, I would want to draw your attention to the ILO recent ILO publications and occasional papers. Before they used to call uh, their occasional papers a series. There was a series called, you know, uh, they used like uh, reviving and words like uh, that. But now they're using the word repair, repairing the social fabric. Right. So it imagines. <laughs> sure. Uh, nothing is non-repairable. It's it it kind of gives you the idea that everything is patchwork, especially technology is patchwork. Like patchwork is possible. The patchwork is the new possibility. um and i think uh, i could be factually wrong on this but we could fact check uh, right away um the isro uh, director uh, went to tirupati with a prototype of the satellite that they sure. were which kind of failed and so there was a lot of question about why tirupati why not somewhere else where you <laughs> might have got it now it sounds funny but the point is that uh, it brings us brings me to the question of like is religion ritual practices beliefs if you will are fundamentally opposed to rational thinking of course but does this notion of repairing uh, does does it have a meaning from a cognitive science perspective i mean is, is it a way of tying a past even to the present i mean is is it a way of tying memories to current and present experience i'm not sure if there's a fully cognitive take on this though again you can imagine that if you look at objects not as objects but as products of ritual so karman right so they are you know products of action maybe individual maybe collective you can imagine that repair is always needed to pass the ritual down the next sure. generation right? so when it has to do with skill when it has to do with embodied knowledge and things exactly. of that sort so in that sense uh, embodiment uh, has to have a notion of repair so so what i mean is unlike say a purely you could say mentalistic idea of cognition sure where uh, essentially you are cartesian or platonic where you say okay there is this perfect object yes the body has the mind right uh-huh. so yeah. so you may have an idea and it's a perfect idea and it doesn't ever need repair because it's perfect it's, it's perfect yeah 2 2 is always going to be 4 sure right but if you are embodied and embedded in a world and your mind has to engage with that then it probably all so you can imagine that there are three things 
that go to um, that are related, but of course are distinct. One is, of course, creation, mm-hmm. right? So you are say imagining an object or a new function, de novo, from de, right? Or at least whatever in, that means, right? Yeah. Then the second would be repair, mm-hmm. right? Which is that this thing has come into being, but it's not doing what you want, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, you may have um, a Vishwakarma which until now was doing only uh, buildings but of course uh, sure you know that that object doesn't that function is no longer what you want from a vishwakarma you want that vishwakarma to be inventing uh, or or blessing machines a satellite of uh, satellites <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. uh, which brings me to the third point which is you could say generalization mm-hmm. right which is a you could say distinctly cognitive act That, it's a meta act right so which is to say that you want to expand the scope of an activity from what it was before to a new uh, situation and in that it may be that the past goes away right right so cutler be- does cutlery but cutlery becomes the thing and that's what gets generalized so everywhere in the world people use knives and forks and cutlery but because we did not have cutlers it breaks away from the cutlers yeah. so so in that sense i so i really like the idea that the mind has these traces of the past in it mm-hmm. now what in, i in in what sense some so, of so all and you mean this evolutionarily definitely evolutionarily mm-hmm. right so all the past or most of the past or whatever it's very it's a complicated question but is is somehow there and this is a very basic question right which is i mean we are after all land dwelling creatures is there i mean but our genes are not terribly different from you know sweet dwelling creatures that you know are perfectly comfortable 2000 feet under the ocean right so to what extent do our bodies carry the trace of that one would have to look inside the brain right for it yes so are, are the brain structures similar uh, because definitely. eventually we're, we're dealing with experience and cognition right. and so i would say sort. neuroanatomically definitely there is a evolutionary history right and so then the question is how so much there of there is the past is there in our brains absolutely I mean, oh, but not ref- not of specific events. Not though. the content, obviously, yes. but but the structures so, that you the reflexes in the structures. Yeah, I would say the grammar of the past is there in the present. Hmm. And why do we sometimes fail to notice the new? It's I have to say that the the new and old in the modernity sense, right, where the old has the connotation of it's inferior, and the new is somehow. So you pay attention to the right. new, right? And so there is definitely attentional modulation. But this this question is a little bit of the opposite, right, Rajesh? Because the, sometimes you end up failing to notice the new because you you just are paying attention to. I, look, I have this invis, invisible gorilla thing in mind, right. for example. Right. right. Why um, does that happen? Because attention again doesn't come. It's not a context-free thing, hmm. right? So if you look at the gorilla uh, experiments. right they, or if you look at the change blindness experiments where large things change you know an image and yet you don't notice it's because you are making meaning out of the world around you and this extraneous 
object or extraneous event doesn't contribute to that meaning making. So sometimes the context could be the old. I mean, the old could be a greater source of creating that context, and exactly. that's why you end up. Yeah. Interesting. Does 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 attention play a role in what we now? Obviously, the, when we say attention, we mean it in a very different sense uh, from a neuroscience or cognitive science perspective. Um, but you you made this point a little while ago, Virin, that you know your your the the present is constantly changing the past. Um, well, I think um, first to to come back to this whole problem of context versus mm. uh, where the context is the old. There is a sense in which sometimes the context itself can overdetermine the actual present that you're that you're experiencing, and therefore you don't see what is new, right? But I think. What do you have in mind? Do you have something in mind when you say that? Well, I was thinking. I mean, you were saying you were talking about uh, you know the gorilla experiment or something. But in any in anything that you see, for example, um, when you're reading a text, for mm-hmm. example, that you could say is something new, right? But you come to the text with so many different presuppositions, right? Right. Um, so since we've been talking about Marx, you know, clearly we we many people because I, I sometimes teach Marx, so then you you often have the sense you have students in the classroom with oh well Marx is all about you know class struggle or whatever and so on. It's it's connected to you know communism and so on. And so you you read that in the text even though you, so you're not able to see what's new. And I actually it's sort of an old text in some sense, but still similarly you could make the same case when you're dealing with even older texts, right? Uh, that that what's new in them. Uh, which is, is the is, problem of hermeneutics, right? I mean, how yeah. do you how so, do you? So, this, so that's hermeneutics, but but I think the other thing that we might want to bring into this discussion, especially since we've been talking about modernity and capitalism and so on, is what is the point of talking about old and new, right? What is the significance of old and new here, right? Um, because in the case of the cutler um, that that Rajesh was bringing, there was almost an ethical point there, right? That what we're doing here, when we when we sort of efface a subject, there's there's an ethic there's an ethical dimension to that. But that ethical dimension is something that we can't only understand as past. It has to be somehow futural, right. and that is that is where Marx is coming. Right, that he wants to say that when you get to the problem uh, to the period of of capitalist modernity now to, to use to use sort of somewhat marxist terms to bring the two together in some sense then when we talk about the old when we talk about periods and things that we've effaced the significance of those periods is that they could actually point to a future in which these pasts are redeemed, right? And this is really coming from Walter Benjamin, right? So that you have this idea that there are all these oppressions that have taken place in the past and they've been effaced from our memory, right? And so this is where it's not just context, but it could be institutions like the nation state, capitalism, et cetera, that makes it such that it's very, it's almost impossible to think these oppressions. So we have to bring them out in some sense. And some, we, the cutler may or may not be part of this, but it's something that's could you know so so that so then then we begin to have the idea about it's it's an idea of history that is moving towards or, or at least uh, opens up the possibility of a different future so this way past and present are sort of connected past and future are also connected right so the the whole point of talking about the old and the new is that in the old is perhaps the potential for a different type of future right right but how does one recover the erased 
So that's a very difficult question because there are many different ways, right? And this is where this is where the the turn towards looking at different experiences, for example, right? right? So when you think about often when we think of those that are erased, it's often the marginalized, right? So we have, and this is this is one of the reasons we were talking a little bit about um, Jewish Marxism, for example. This is where there's the experience of being a minority that is excluded, right? You can think in India of the Dalits, right, as well, right? So, which is where, where, where Indian Marxists have often had trouble dealing with that for a long time. And now they've come to think about Dalits in relation to caste and class and so on, right? And so, so part of it will be the experiences, right, right that, that have not been written into the mainstream narratives of history. You think of the ethical aspect as well, Obhijit. Yeah. What's uh, the link between that and technology, let's say? Uh, precisely why, the, why do some things persist do they persist for ethical reasons ethical reason is not something that in my uh, brief uh, sojourn in this uh, field shows that it's not something to be judged from the outside hmm. uh it's not a kantian universal ethics either it it's is an ethics of practice, of practice where uh it's an ethics of necessity it's an ethics where um, the repair um, community and when the cycles... When you say necessity, you mean compulsion? It's or? not so much compulsion. It's something that uh, the object throws at you. It is not that you are uh, making a whole bunch of inferences. It is the other way around. In a very weird way, it is also uh, the KCB problem, the Krishnachandra Bhattacharya problem of Kant's transcendental uh, object where the meaning doesn't necessarily transmit from uh, the subject but from the object throws up a number of possibilities directly sometimes directly Almost sometimes directly. through the trace hmm. and i think we need to at some point try to go back to the relationship between trace and temporality that viren brought up uh, in uh, the initial salvo um to come back to the ethics of repair it is not that the repair person knows that this is an ethical issue that he has to solve. And in most cases, it's a he, so there's a gender problem too. But that's a different uh, sort of you know, uh, take. So for the ethics, uh, for the repair person, it is more about sharing knowledge within a community. If that knowledge goes away, a livelihood also goes away. So one might think that livelihood and ethics are connected in that way. Very different from DIY projects back in, in the Western Hemisphere where you work your time. That, and that's more like survival instinct at work. Which uh, one? The well, ethics in the, the repair in yeah, the Global they, they, South they. community. You might call it survival instinct. Yes, indeed, it kicks in. Um, but within, this is something that I've been pondering As for a long time. It's not being done for explicitly or legibly ethical reasons. That That's a point. Right. It is. So... Um, as we go along with the process, they're also figuring out, right, the valences of how much of the ethical priority must be given to one tiny minuscule area of work as opposed to the other. Because it also involves kinship, community, and interfaith and intercaste relationships right. within a large section of cross section of communities in India. I do not want to make it sound like they're all homogenous. Sure, sure. But I sure. do also want to emphasize that there are shared patterns. That is the ethics that I think is the embodiment that we were talking about earlier. It is not so much about like, oh, someone, some big uh, Marxist dada comes and says, this is what you have to do or not. But it is more about what people figure it out. It's, a, it's about figuring it out 
and they have been figuring it out uh, um, with uh, machines and metals for a long time now so we might want to pay a little bit more attention to that so you brought up this notion of global south a few times now mm. this whole business of the old somehow persisting and lingering mm. is it more in 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 areas where I mean, is there a link? Can one draw a correlation that is somewhat rigorous, or I, 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 it's I just more anecdotal? Right, I would be tempted to. Um, a lot of it is indeed anecdotal, anthropological, and ethnographic. Um, I do not. I have mixed feelings about if we sudden if we start a planning commission on <laughs> on ethics and repair. What where will that lead up to? It'll be an interesting uh, experiment, um, indeed a thought experiment as well. But. Uh, it might be interesting for us to. I think more and more people are recognizing these because spaces. different things evolve at different pace, right? right? W- w- would that mm-hmm. be fair to say? I mean, that's e- a great point, e- actually. Yeah. yeah, even our brain, our mind, mm-hmm. us physically as bodies. Yeah, selection pressure can be different for different mm-hmm. things. For different kinds of functions, for different kinds of needs. Yeah. So our brain, for example, w- would have parts and functions that are hyper evolved, have gone through more evolution cycles, and there are some which are lesser. Is that is that okay? I think that that's per- but I want to come back to a, what I think I, I, as I listen to both Viren and Abhijit I so there are, I'm trying to hold two thoughts in my head at the same time yes so I'm trying to try, I'll see if I can get them both out so the first is this idea of even the old and the new like you mentioned how come we fail to notice the new in yeah. certain situations I want to question that a little bit. Why I'm saying that is to even notice that something is new which is different from the old requires us to have a kind of a coordinate frame in which certain things are being labeled as worth tracking while other things are not. So let me... So if something needs to be noticed, it shall be noticed. Right. So what I'm saying is that Let's take the famous those gorilla change blindness experiments. Now, it's it seems at one level obvious that oh here is this man dressed in a gorilla suit dancing on a basketball court is not being noticed. So the new is not being noticed. But if you step back a little bit and ask, let's take it at an image level, right? So forget the gorilla, forget all the semantics. Now, it may be that at the pixel level the difference between a frame where you're shooting the court from one angle versus another, no gorillas, is a much bigger difference than one in which you're shooting the basketball court at one perspective, but there's a gorilla in it, right? So how do you say that the second one with a gorilla in it is a bigger difference and therefore is new and not being noticed versus the other one which at the pixel level is actually more different, but, right. but is old, right? It's the same old court. So it's, I feel like unless there is a subject who is already imposing a certain idea of old and new, and if that idea of old and new itself is not there, then I don't know if the question of not noticing the new would even arise. So what I mean is, is it so? How poss- does brain? How does the brain process change? I know there are different kinds of change. There are so many changes, right? Of course. So, um, you know, obviously the brain has to track moving things that are changing in your periphery. I mean, maybe not our brains anymore, but let's say you're a deer in the savanna. Sure. You really do have to notice if there's a lion coming out of the side. 
right? So that kind of change tracking or motion tracking is very, very important. That doesn't seem to map so easily into the old and new, right? Because in fact, you might argue that as far as the antelope goes, the lion wanting to eat the antelope is the oldest thing ever and the newest thing as well. Right. Right. So it seems to be a specific, I'm wondering if it's a specifically modern human thing to even make the question of old and new. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the, right, that, um, and whether, how well does that generalize to other uh, cultures, other historical periods, and so on? So that's one question that I have. Uh, and now I have that second thought that seems to have vanished from my head. <laughs> it's become old. <laughs> <rather> than, <laughs> and you, you, uh, but, you need to go back and look for its traces in your head. And uh, so it does look like the old and the new then would be after all connected to questions of modernity and capital and its processes more so than perhaps in a pre-modern context. Is that our understanding? Is that that because capitalism or modernity or whatever one calls this, is, is that because all the changes are accelerated and it's above a certain threshold and that's why they just end up becoming noticeable and that's why you know it's the noticeability which ends up creating the old and the new categories is it that is it more acceleration at work or it's something else i think that's part of it um but i think uh, it's not just because because the acceleration is very connected to what abhijit was talking about with with the problem of technology right because what the behind that acceleration if we f- if we follow marx's analysis of, of capitalism is is really the the production of rel- what he calls relative surplus value, which is where you have right. you know you have an eight hour day, and what you have to do is produce more in every hour, so the hour becomes denser, right? Yeah. So that you get that acceleration. But I don't. But I think that perhaps at least as important as that is certain ideas of social structure, right? To be able to think about society as a totality. Um, I think that before the modern period, we don't get this idea of social totalities. That's a good point. So that then you don't have, so then all of a sudden, new is not, the the concepts old and new have been around with us in many cultures for many different, for many years. But they're usually much more fragmentary. Like what I mean by new is what's near to me and what's old but is... But new a, and old in this total form yeah, exactly. is new. That is what I think. That's And and I think that that allows us to get into a lot of a lot of issues like... One of the issues, I, there are a couple of very interesting issues that Abhijit and, and Rajesh have, have, have brought up. And I think the, the first to come to Abhijit is this whole problem of the object, right? The object and, and in some sense, the subject and, and where you're dealing with uh, Casey Bhattacharya and the whole problem of the object giving meaning and so on. And I think that what I'd like to um, add to that is uh, almost what I would call a Hegelian footnote, and what I mean by that is that um, from the Hegelian perspective, which I think is behind a lot, maybe the Marxist perspective as well, is to not think in terms of subject and object, but to think about both the subject and object being constituted in history. So that when you come to capitalist modernity, it's not that the object is giving us meaning or something, but all of a sudden, both the subject and object are different, right? So that, that, and that's why the whole the conception of time, they're all different. And then that brings us to ethical issues, right? So that 
when we come to ethical issues, there is often associated with Marxism is an evolutionary perspective, where the evolutionary perspective is now not just about human beings, but about societies. So that you move from stages like slave society, feudal society, capitalism. So the whole society has to evolve in these totalities. And this has enormous repercussions for how we understand the global south, which again, Obajit brought up. And the reason for this is that if you were a Marxist writing around, you know, in the 30s and 40s, and you looked at places like China or India, and, and, and even to some extent, even Japan, you would say, well, what do you have to do? You've got to first create capitalism, even Russia, right? <laughs> Vera Zasulich said, uh, wrote to Marx and said, you know, what do we do now? We should first create capitalism, right? Yeah. Because we're... we're Otherwise, we, we're going to get run over yeah, anyway. We're, we're, we have to evolve still. And Marx, very interestingly, he didn't want to make that answer. He, had, he wrote many drafts of this letter to, to uh, Zasulich. He never... He sent a very small one, that, a short one that said almost nothing. <laughs> but one of the drafts is very interesting because what he says is, no, 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 it's not that all societies pass through the same stages. What you can have are certain kind of, uh, you know, vestiges of other or older communities that could point the way to the future. So all of a sudden now the old in the global south, because these are places that have not been totally transformed, right? Um, now, of course, this is where our discussion about urbanization becomes quite important. So you can leapfrog a say, stage and go to the next. Well, it's not so much, yeah, it's sort of leapfrog, but it's also drawing on your earlier, your past to create a different future. Right. And this is what I think a lot of uh, Marxists in the global south were, were trying, to, trying to do uh, for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, so I did remember the <laughs> other thought I oh, had. Um, no, I wanted to go back to Abhijit's point about these uh, repair communities. Right, and and you also mentioned the DIY California culture, mm. and it's interesting about how almost the same kind of activity is either labeled as new or as old, based on who is doing it. Right, because if you are a bunch of teenagers, typically white, typically men, um, in some garage in uh, California, and you are playing around with gadgets, you are creating the new. Right, mm-hmm. and but at the level of individual actions and the kind of skills involved, it's not that different from, you know, a a group of mechanics in Calcutta who are very creatively continuing to use um, machines well beyond what might be the sell-by date, right? Why is one new and the other old? Yeah. Meaning, in the thing itself, what is the mark of the new and what's the mark of the old? I don't see it. So where else, where is that coming from? So that, that's where the whole question of legitimacy comes in, right? Which but, is connected to the object of the new. The new is throwing our propositions within a certain uh, synergy of capital. And I think uh, at this stage, we may also want to touch upon the, the, the numerous new forms of capital as we are experiencing today, where the center has been decentered altogether. It's those newer forms of capital which are giving us signals that, oh, a certain form of um, individual labor, which is not labor at all anymore, which is now creative work, right, which is art and aesthetics, which is going a very different direction, is new, whereas a bunch of repair mechanics in Mumbai or Kolkata or wherever, it's still considered to be part of enslavement and work. But I also want to put a caveat there. Because sometimes the old can be made illegal. 
by by indeed like yeah. the cassette like you know for example yeah. uh, 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 the whole mm-hmm. idea about piracy and uh, yeah. they IPR can be forced obsolescence Sorry? Can, they can be forced obsolescence yes there could be for and there has been forced obsolescence right and but that is the name of the game but uh, but obsolescence comes with a, a linear frame of history hmm. like there is a there is a before and after we have we seem to have gone beyond a certain before and after but at least in the rhetoric. social forms and in the way virain was talking about mm. it the the previous stages whatever the sequences the previous stages don't become obsolete right you you still carry on some of the social forms some of the hierarchy mm-hmm. anyway but you were making no you're right i mean uh, uh, indeed i mean i kind of uh, uh, um, to an extent so the social point. forms go right. and they evolve is different from the way objects mm-hmm. go and evolve mm-hmm. when technologies go and evolve but also want to suggest that i mean i think we tend to think more too much in terms of Uh, a social forms and structure which is very very ultimately barbarian and very very <laughs> i want to bring us back to thinking more about community which is more fungible mm. which can, and it's real you can see and it. it's more real and um i'll go back to um the first uh, uh, octogenarian activist that i interviewed in kolkata uh, when i was starting my research and he basically said uh, he was this like uh, he had gone this gone through this cerebral palsy and he was, uh, and he was like uh, kind of not very lucid but he said one thing it struck just like that he said like look capitalism cannot digest community it was very interesting and startling to me and i started thinking about like what what does that really mean i mean is it just like someone's like loose comment or and then when i started looking at the community i see that a certain form of capital has been ingested right but not all right right kinship cannot be um kinship necessarily cannot be overtaken by capital not always it was in the 19th century in a linear form of historical sort of you know idea of society and progress and so on but more uh, as we uh, uh, you mean uh, those those ties cannot be dissolved just uh, not entirely yes can be can be can has been i mean mcdonaldization is all about tying sure. the, uh, sort of you know making going uh, uh, yeah. into smithereens uh, local communities and all that but i still think there's something called residual hmm. relations that remain and that again th- that's very recalcitrant that's the recalcitrant part of history which uh, often we tend to ignore because uh, if there was not recalcitrant but is that just a passive residue or does it play a role that's a good point i mean it depends on where it is sowed like you know it's like the mahatirth the like you know shiva throwing all these Uh, uh, parts of uh, Chandi's body and wherever it falls, uh, not every place is fertile. <laughs> so it depends on where we are at. But uh, given the 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 notion of our sort of a historical being in 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 countries like India and I would say most of the global south, there I think there are more possibilities of these ethical communities to come into place through capital itself. So in a way, they are they are chartifying they they are putting a charter on capital like charter as in like they're putting a slap on capital. using the very same means sorry i'm i'm, I'm i don't sure. want to turn devolve this into a joke session but <laughs> it's uh, uh but so, yeah what's the future where are we headed will will these distinctions remain not like we've established that the right. distinction is there even today um I, i i know it's function and need dependent and so on I, but so what i want to maybe focus on is the contestation between the two so to give you an example because you mentioned avijit how um community cannot be digested by, by capital. capital right now that leads to an interesting contestation because you could say that in india 
many communities are bound together by caste, which is considered old. Yeah. And so when the community says we want to stick together, on the one hand, it fits our romantic idea that they are resisting the, you know, fragmentary impulses of capital, of, of uh, dissolving these bonds. But at the same time, we are also saying, oh, look at these people. They're only wanting to marry each other or they don't want women entering temples. Yeah, the right? parts of it that you consider anachronistic right? parts and of it. And so <laughs> what I don't know is, like, from the outside, is there a perspective which says, can I take this piece from the new, so to speak, and that piece from the old? That masala version, I don't know if that's possible or not. But, and who's to say... How I mean, you might say... And well, these are living organisms, yeah. right? You can't just pluck parts away without impacting what's left behind and otherwise. Yeah, and, and I feel like this is where maybe a culture of repair can be interesting because you might say that the way I want to evolve the new is by a slow repair of the old, right? So it's not dramatic. So it doesn't have the kind of phase transition that we typically think of disruption the the famous word coming out of uh, everything you know, nowadays yeah okay. disruptive innovation right uh, disruptive innovation is great and is, is that but but rajesh i want to be careful on this this is not just for the purposes of soft landing and so mm. that it's accepted it's not it's not no. for those reasons it's for reasons that that's the only way it might work and and the fact is that and and while it, you know, I, I don't like the word soft landing, and uh, b but I also think that communities l have always evolved and they've always learned. But in order, f if we value certain kinds of things, so for example, if we value certain human bonds as being more important than um, abstract structures of capital, then you would want the communities to have the capacity to repair. Right, because that would be an intrinsic value under that larger framing. But of course, you might say, no, what you want is efficient markets that deliver certain kinds of goods much quicker than they did before. And um, I mean, I certainly... But that's still a future that nobody has seen. And there is the, it's, it's that tension, right, between... And, and to be frank, given my own nature, I see the great romance of both. Yeah, right. I mean, I definitely see the value of the gadget that will, uh, m you know, make life that much easier and be cooler, and I can, uh, you know, inhabit seven universes at the same time. But I also see the value of. I think the question is whether these are either or questions, right? And where are you on this, Viren? I think. I mean, uh, does does one need to? I mean, what what kind of a change is possible? Can can you just bring in the new and? slap away the old? Presumably well, not, because yeah, we, we I, live in history, don't we? Right, and I think that the key is going to come back to what we mean by the new and the old, mm -hmm. right? In what sense? Because you could say, well, there's something new happening every moment, right? I mean, I'm, I'm moving my hand this way, and I wasn't moving it like, like but that. But the, also, right? there's nothing new under the sun. Exactly. So, <laughs> the, so that, that I think the new, and here I would um, come back to something Obijit was saying about the problem of structure, um, and I think that in one sense, for Marx, the concept of structure is extremely important because the whole point of the new has to be structural transformation. Right. Because, and, and I think that the other side of that is the problem of community, that I think it is some, somewhat um, dangerous 
to posit community against capitalism too quickly. Because capitalism is happy, and this is the whole debate between Chibber and Chakrabarty, that, that capital is happy to bring in all kinds of community. It's happy to reorganize caste domination, as we can see, you know, what happens with, with you know, Brahmins becoming capitalists or whatever. But I think that the other, the, the other issue, and then this is something I've been thinking about more, more recently, is take the example of um, Jews in Germany, right? Because if you take the example of Jews in Germany, they were a community that to some extent appeared threatening to the nation state, which is another community that was in many ways organizing capital, right? And they appeared threatening for two reasons. One is they thought these were communities that were not loyal to the German nation state, so they were too small, too particular, or they were too universal because they were wanderers, right? Yeah, and they and, would trade with anyone, go exactly. anywhere. So, they, yeah. so, so that they were, in, on those two sides, they were they were sort of a threat to capital in one sense, in, in the sense that they were a threat to the nation state, which was the condition for the possibility, right? Because capital needs all these laws and so on. But then I think what the other, the other thing that's really interesting about that, that the, the, the Jewish example, is that the later Nazi ideology that was to, to, to attack them was really all about community. Yes. It was all about land and so on and these kind of things that we that that posed itself as anti-capitalist so there's no absolute virtue yeah, no so that the thing, it posed itself as anti-capitalist but it really wasn't yes. so so that i think that the new if we're following the the marxist uh, analogy is to really or the the theory is to actually try to develop a real negation of the present mm-hmm. where then all of a sudden past and and, and old will will look different as will community right as will subject and object and so on so that the whole point is to create a new type of world world right is the, is is is, the is, there, is there is there is there is that notion over romanticized do we need to create a new kind of well, world let me just one I, I want to give it to give some time to, to abhijit but but on that i think i i wouldn't say that it's over romanticized to the extent that we can ground the possibility of a kind of socialism in our present society and let me very quickly come back to the problem of gadgets and technology because Marx's early, now one of his narratives is all about technology, right? That what he wants to say is happening to, in capitalist society as we develop is that you get increasing technological mediation, right? In a society that's based on the exploitation of labor. But the problem with that is labor becomes more and more obsolete, which is why you have increasing unemployment. So what, what's happening is what's the capitalist mode of production, according to him, has become anachronistic. But it doesn't mean that it's naturally going to lead to something else. We could have more and more dystopia. We could have more and more unemployment. We could have all kinds of other, other problems. So, but it does mean that there is the possibility, right, with the right kind of political movement. But um, By community, I should have uh, maybe uh, become a little bit, uh, should have given more clarity to that. I do, I do not think community uh, is uh, to be understood in more in, in pluralistic terms. It is more sort of in the object sense of community, is in the singular. It's almost like ideology. And when I say it community, I meant more like community that practices. It is not really, it is not necessarily related uh, related or connected to ethno nationalist or ethno religious or ethno political communities. It is more uh, uh, the banding of a certain group of people who may have a whole variety of affiliations. And in especially countries in the global south where we see more and more of the repair phenomenon, uh, 
that's where these communities are linked to certain ideas of practice as opposed to um, a particular historical group where who would be then targeted as in the case of Nazi Germany which is ext- uh, extremely and totally valid as a critique of like you know that we shouldn't be uh, quick to uh, judge capital through community but that's another kind of community we are talking about here within the spaces of uh, sort of uh, technological change and developmental practice and so on and so forth of the present uh so that's one clarification that I thought I w- might want to make because what's the future that's a great question the future <laughs> of the um repair community obviously shrinking because of- there is this no i think one is for the repair community but i i want to make the question slightly more abstract in sure, general sure. to say that can you just land the new on top of the old do you always need the old can you always upgrade from the old to the new and must one always upgrade from the old to the new right i think it's it's it's, it's sure 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 no i mean no i mean we, we need to push the question beyond the limits of a certain sort of you know uh, anthropological frame i would say that it's a uh, uh, no i think this the whole thing is and you you pointed this out earlier wherein that the whole notion of newness has been tied to the idea of progress in a way right i think there is this there's this direct coupling that the new is necessarily better mm-hmm. um what's the future of that idea well i would say that in and to to give an example um for most of uh, uh, those repair people they also use they are very comfortable using smartphones and you know sure. they have they know understand they understand interface and capacitive and other technologies at the user end at least so i'm suggesting that the, uh, while the new appears to be shiny it is in the domain of work where much of the ethical practices and th- things go on on a day-to-day basis because for a majority of the informal people in this country and elsewhere and here i would want to push the abstract back to the concrete and beyond right. as in like you know to situate it in a in a more sort but of but is it an either or question the only I, question i am not entirely uh, sure of the either or but why are you not entirely sure that it's not a either or question uh precisely because it is uh, there is there, there there's a blurry gray area between how much of the old uh, capacitates the new so to speak or puts hmm. the new in motion and 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 the other way around and also how much of it is exponential as in like it's just not a matter of you know counting it in a yeah, sort of, of arithmetical fashion i mean there are things which leapfrog yeah right i mean one example that i would want to bring here is you know uh, from mit you know the michael negroponte guy who did this one laptop per child with the domino with a model that oh well you don't you don't have school so you just give them laptop and create this new interface and maybe that's the so that's the leapfrog uh, pattern of uh, uh, of of trying to understand how the old and the new can be connected um in a sometimes in a circular and spiraling fashion as well Why don't we end with you Rajesh is it a either or question I know we I, I want to keep going back to this again and again it, it seems like it's not but somehow I'm, I don't get an emphatic of course so, not So so one way I might want to best of worst worlds is that instead of thinking about it spatially as one layer on top of another mm-hmm. so there's the old which is either erased or somehow hidden by the new right the, like a layer cake so that's one model another might be that the old and the new are two ways of being right so for example i could you know inhabit the new by using a smartphone 
it could enable both the worlds right exactly so where i would like to situate the creative capacity is in the subject now that could be the individual subject just me it could be a, a social subject so a community could be a nation state i i'm sort of agnostic as to the size of the subject and these are all possibilities i think so and you pick and choose what you like and i think that i should have the i not i should i do have the liberty to pick some of those right big and and i can't imagine being any other way so but, far, but it's one thing to say that at the level of individual objects and technologies and one kind of smartphone or another but it's it's not that question doesn't translate itself to picking social forms and you know political structures right because you don't get the menu and the buffet there because mm-hmm. there things are kind of given to you and you know but even there's political poli- mobilization would, and so on i would think that part of the challenge of politics is to precisely offer those kinds of choices right that um political contestation is about saying that oh if you want how, how realistic is that because eventually it has to be possible i mean one could have a somewhat utopian uh, conception of it which which is not wrong just because it's a conception of a certain kind uh, but eventually it needs to be realistic right because these are so let me um end by saying i mean let's take something like climate change hmm. right which is kind of the dystopian new <laughs> yeah i think that if we can't um offer political imaginaries that can address this new situation we will be in a lot of trouble i think that that everybody can agree to so part of it is that that kind of new where you see the potential problems ahead and create collective solutions to problems that have to be tackled like the Vishwa, i mean like the engineers who have to, if it, if you don't repair something it breaks and it There's goes away there's a breakdown and you need to do everything yeah. you can it's, it's right so my point is if the machine is going to break down if you don't create the new you better create the new and i and or you disappear and both of those have happened <laughs> <laughs> and it could happen again it could happen again I, but i'm i'm maybe Uh, optimistic by nature and i feel like we will be hope better than than you know the apocalyptic scenarios that many people think. terrific i think that's a good note to end this on thanks mm-hmm. to all of you for making it and we look forward to soon again thank you for coming thank you thank you thank you thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. wonderful thank you